I'm going to be in two places. I'm going to begin in Genesis chapter 2, reading the final two verses of that chapter, and then moving into Colossians chapter 3 from Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. From Colossians. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly, or in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This is the word of the Lord. Please. Amen. Please be seated. Many times a year, I enter into the sanctuary carrying this book. It's not on a Sunday morning. It's on a Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening. Many of you have seen me walk in carrying this book or one of our other pastors, and we have the best view. It's one of the great gifts of being an ordained gospel minister. The fanfare starts. After the the bridal party has entered in, the ladies in their beautiful gowns, the men dressed in their tuxedos, whatever the, the, the appropriate setting is, and then the fanfare starts. A fanfare is, is a, usually a loud, short, very passionate piece of music that is indicating that something or someone special is coming. And the mother of the bride is sitting right here. And I tell her at the rehearsal, I will nod. And when I nod, you stand. And when you stand, everybody will stand. And because everybody's standing, you won't be able to see your daughter. So I tell them to step out just a little so you can see when those doors open your beautiful daughter next to her dad. And they come down the aisle. It's hard not to cry at every wedding for me. So I always have tissue just in case. They may think it's for the groom, but it's for me. (laughs) Because it reminds me of the day when I stood a little bit to the left and I saw my bride come down. It's beautiful. Everyone that's present, whether it's a large group or small, I've actually done a wedding with only four people here in the sanctuary. They're coming up on their fourth anniversary. It's actually only their first because they got married on leap year, February 29th. (laughs) Right here, me and Bill Lamberth co-officiating. One guest for each. It was beautiful. 
I stand here and you watch. You first look to the back door and after you've seen just enough of the glorious bride, you look up at the soon-to-be husband and then you look back. It's like a tennis match at the US Open. Your heads are doing this. I'm opening my book, finding my place, looking up again to gaze at her and then I welcome them to the place. And I begin to read. The very first thing I say is God's word in the beginning. And I read right up to the point where I read just a moment ago in Genesis 2. Marriage is God's idea. Several years ago, on my way to the rehearsal of a, of a couple that was getting married, I was on the phone with a wife and the wife was telling me that their marriage was in real trouble. They were, they were down. They had been struggling for years and she didn't think the marriage was gonna make it. I talked for her, to her for about half an hour on the phone, ending that conversation in our parking lot. And then I walked into this place to lead the rehearsal for a couple that would get married the next day. I'm gonna be honest, in the back of my mind the whole time, though I'm going through the motions, seeking to be as present as I can be, I'm wondering what's gonna to happen to the couple that I was just on the phone with the wife, and I'm also wondering about this couple. What's gonna to happen to them? Three years, seven years, 20 years, 40 years. Will their marriage make it? Will it make it and be great? Will it barely make it? I'm thinking about that the whole time. On the way home after the rehearsal, and I don't think anybody knew that was on my mind, I called the husband, pulled up in my driveway and spoke to him for about half an hour. It was hard. It was hard because marriage is hard. It's hard because it's real life. And two people that once had the same joyous occasion, once that man stood here seeing his bride come down the aisle, his soon-to-be father-in-law walking his bride, the mother of the bride here, their friends on each side, they stood before them as a minister said, before God and this company, do you? They both said, I do. Their dream was happening, but now they're living a nightmare. And I couldn't help but think about the couple that I was just about to marry. But the truth is, I don't have to tell you just about the couples I've talked to on the phone or the couples that have been in my office for counseling or the couples that have visited other counselors or other pastors. It's not just their issues. It's my issue too and my wife, Christina. 25 years for us this May. Pretty amazing. But there are moments when we feel very broken. Looking back on 2015, I love to do that. I wanna tell you about the worst fight we had. It was on the way to Pine Cove where we were gonna spend a weekend together. I watched what she packed and I got angry. Why are you bringing all that stuff? We're not gonna have time to work on things. We're just gonna to be together. I'm not bringing stuff to work on. And she's like, but you're speaking. You're the one that's gonna be speaking. There's gonna be time for me to do stuff. I don't want you to do that stuff. I want it, I want it to be about us. An overwhelmed mom 
looking at her week and saying, I have a few minutes to myself to complete a thought. Moms, do you ever feel that way? That's what I want about the weekend. I love you too, Mark, but I need some time alone. I don't want you to have time alone. I want you to think about me. It was pretty rough because my imagination for the weekend and hers were very different. By the time we hit Uptown, which is only five minutes from where we live, it was silent. And it was one of those moments where you just kind of felt like this is going to be quiet the whole way. And then the shame came because the topic of which I was speaking on was marriage. And there was a billboard, big billboard, about 30 minutes outside, just on the other side of Mesquite. A husband's looking one way on the billboard, his profile, a wife on the other, with two words and a question mark in the center. Want out? And I touched my wife. I didn't talk to her. I touched her and pointed to the sign and went. (laughs) She looked at me like that. Neither one of us went out or wanted out. Neither one of us went out now. But the truth is, there are moments in marriage, because marriage is hard, where people think that's the only option for life. It's become too hard, too difficult. And they're left wondering, is the gospel enough? Is the promise of God enough? Is he able to minister to me in such a specific way that we can go through this very difficult and hard time? And I want to tell you that this morning in 10 minutes, I can't answer every question about marriage. I can't say everything that should be said about longing to be married and still being single. Or having lost your spouse because the Lord's called him home and you're lonely. I can't say everything. But if you can take away one thing today, it's this, that the gospel does work and it is for you. And it's he, through the gospel, is calling you to take steps in your life and in your marriage to depend on him to see who you ultimately are in Christ. This is just to whet your appetite and to encourage you, no matter where you are in your marriage, that's all this is, but it's going to require by his grace and for his glory that you as a man and you as a woman listen to him and take whatever steps are necessary to move forward in keeping the vow that he, keeping the vow that you have made to each other by trusting in the vow that he has given you. I want to begin by saying again something I said a moment ago. Marriage is God's idea. But marriage exists in a broken world where people abandon one another, where people hurt one another, where people deceive one another, And sometimes it's not as dark as those things, but sand of selfishness gets in the gears of our life and we just begin to irritate one another. But marriage is God's idea. How do we know? Go back to Genesis 2. The verses 
prior to what I read, beginning in verse 18, the Lord says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. What a great word. A helper. Together these two, this man, this woman, both created in the image of God, together, his creation, his idea, to cultivate the earth, to go, grow together in love, to serve their king. And at the end of that chapter, the word of God says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And it's so interesting that in God's word, he put this next verse. And the man and his wife both were naked and felt no shame. They were not ashamed until the next chapter. God had given them life and in his way, he said, there is one thing that you are not to do. You're not to eat from this one tree and everything else is yours. Enters the serpent, the devil. He tempts Eve with the fruit. She eats the fruit. Then it says, after Adam ate some too, that their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked and they hid from one another and they hid from God. They had never known shame. They had never known fear. They had never known guilt. They had never wanted to hide from one another. And now their eyes are open. They see each other's nakedness and they run from one another and they run from God. That is happening today, isn't it? In our marriages, in our relationships, we're so afraid. I spoke at Covenant College on Friday and Tim Tinsley, I didn't get to see him, he was out of town, but he sent me a text just before I went up and he said, Mark, this city is paralyzed by fear. So is ours. The world is. And people in our marriages, we are too. And we do exactly what Adam and Eve did. What did they do? They ran and they sought to cover themselves. God enters into the picture and God comes with a question. The question is, where are you? Adam speaks. We were afraid because we were naked, so we hid. God's second question, who told you you were naked? God's third question, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And now look what happened to this relationship. The woman that you put here with me. God's relationship in Adam's is broken. Adam's relationship with Eve is broken. And the consequence of that sin has continued to impact our world. It impacts my life, it impacts your life, regardless of your status in life. But marriage is God's idea. 
And God provides a way out. Even in Genesis 3, we see the promise of the sun to come. And at the very end of chapter 3, we see God killing an animal, skinning the animal, and then using the skins of that animal to cover the nakedness and the shame of this man and this woman, symbolizing the sacrifice of Jesus who would die, who would become naked, who would be displayed before all to see so that he could cover us. Clothing is a significant part of a wedding, isn't it? It's given rise to shows like Say Yes to the Dress. It's a big deal. A bride dreams about that dress. Her husband doesn't say much about it. He shouldn't, but the father might. Here's the budget. The dream might be crushed but they'll adjust. Clothing is a huge reality in a wedding, and it should be, because clothing is a huge reality in Scripture. That's why I've taken us to Colossians 3. This passage actually has become very, very common. I always let the couple pick which passage they would like for me to preach from in their wedding, and this is picked right now. It changes. People go through phases but this one's picked about 50% of the time. And each time I ask a couple, Why, what do you like about this passage? And every time they've missed the most important part. The passage starting in verse 12 says, put on then, it's literally about getting dressed. It's an image of clothing, put on then. And then it goes through a list of attributes. Do you see them? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Who doesn't want to be married to a person who's doing those things? Isn't that amazing? But the point I make in the premarital counseling in the, in the sermon is you can't do it. I stand here and I tell them, you, you can't do that. Not perfectly. You, you can't do that. And by the way, you've missed the most important part of the text. It doesn't say, Paul doesn't say, put on these attributes and go through the list of I do's. He speaks about identity. And he says, put on as God's chosen ones. Holy and beloved. And so here's what I say to the man and the woman. Man, you are about to marry a woman who is the holy, chosen, beloved daughter of Christ. You, woman, are about to marry a man who is called holy, beloved, and chosen. Marriage really shouldn't begin with a long list of I do's, but with one strong I am. I am a holy, chosen, beloved child of God. And my wife is a holy, beloved, chosen child of God, daughter of God. Marriage shouldn't really begin with a list of I do's, but with an I am. 
And we can live in the present reality of this identity because he is the one who says, you are, and I do. And the one who says that is the great I am. When we enter into challenges and conflict, and we will, the side of heaven, we need to remember the primary identity of the one we've married. The one, if you're married, you're sitting next to now. The one that you might marry if you're single. This is what their identity should be. The one, if you've lost your spouse already, who's gone to be with the Lord. That's, that's who they, they were here and now are fully in the presence of Jesus. This identity is everything. And the reason it's everything is because it has to do with clothing. You are clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And to be honest, the reason my eyes get teary at weddings is because the mystical reality of a bride coming down constantly reminds me of another wedding. A wedding that will be a consummation when Jesus, as the fanfare plays, and this loud noise causes the entire earth to recognize that something or someone special is coming, is really going to come for me because I am his chosen, holy, and beloved son. And that thought is entering my heart as she comes that one day Jesus is coming for us who are in Christ. He's really coming. He is really coming. And because I am in Christ, and because my bride, Christina, is in Christ, and because you, Christian, are in Christ, because you're in Christ alone, you are covered with his garment, and you are safe. And for all eternity, you will be in his presence. Our marriages need work. They all need work, no matter where they are. Move forward in doing what God's calling you to do for the sake of his glory in your marriage. Go, do it, come out of hiding. And as you do, do so because you are remembering who you are in Christ and who you married. Now I want you just to close your eyes for a minute and be still. And I want you just to pray for a moment. And then as we transition into the music, I just want you to remain seated and imagine the day in which Christ is coming. And then I will stand us and we will sing with full voice the promise of what it means. Be still now. Don't open the bulletin. Just close your eyes for a moment and reflect.